0: also to uh, introduce to you Jeff and Candy Jones and their daughter Kelsey who are coming today to dedicate themselves to the Lord and uh, couldn't think of a more appropriate day than obviously Father's Day but uh, the Bible says that children are to obey their parents in the Lord and that actually both father and mother have a specific responsibility and distinct roles in Deuteronomy 6 we read now this is the commandments the statutes and the judgment which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land that where you're going to possess. He says, so that you and your son or your grandson, in this case, your daughter, might fear the Lord to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I've commanded you all the days of your life, that your life may be prolonged. And he goes on to say that uh, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our might and that these words, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And they shall be bound on the sign on your hand and as on the sign of your frontals or your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Bible says that, um, that fathers have a very specific role in being an example to, the, to their children and also that mothers do too. That a woman is to love her husband as a friend and to love her children. And it goes on to say that she's to be sensible and pure, a worker at home and kind and being subject to their own husband that the word of God may not be dishonored. It says, and likewise young men, Unfortunately, you still fall into that category according to the biblical (laughs) definition, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified sound and speech which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And so uh, Jeff and Candy come today to dedicate themselves to the Lord to uh, dedicate themselves to what God requires of them, that they be godly examples for Kelsey, and that they would, I know, (laughs) and that they would teach her about the Lord, and that they would be obedient in their own personal life and conduct. So today is a day that uh, they want to make that stand before all of us, and that we can encourage them in that. And now, uh, hello. Hello. All right, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this day that's Father's Day, a day to remind all of us who are fathers of the responsibility that we have, in loving our wives as Christ loved the church, and of conducting ourselves in a way that we would be held blameless and above reproach, that nothing bad could be said about us because of hypocrisy or or conduct that's unbecoming of you. Father, I just pray for uh, Jeff that he would assume that responsibility as a man and the leader of his home that Candy would also recognize her responsibility in teaching Kelsey the things of God and to be obedient in her own walk with the Lord. And God, we just pray that she'll come to know the Lord in a very early age and that she will walk in obedience with him and be a blessing not only to them as parents but to their grandparents and to the world that she lives in. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Oh. Amen. What you get? There you go. That's it. I'm not super dad anymore. <laughs> No, that's okay. No, it really is. Okay. Alrighty. Someone asked me if I uh, enjoyed breakfast in bed this morning, and uh, and I and I guess I did. I mean, if if this qualifies, we got. I did a wedding last night. We got home late, and um, my sister and her husband and our, and our two nieces are staying with us, and. They like to lay in our bed and watch videos. and uh, So this counts as breakfast in bed, if you can count the Cheerios that we found when we crawled in bed last night. So we just waited until this morning to eat them, though. So anyway, but I hope you're all having a great Father's Day and uh, look forward to the rest of the day. Last week, I mentioned to you that uh, one of my favorite poems is uh, a short one, but it says everything that it, that it needs to say. It says, to dwell above with saints we love, that'll be grace and glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. You know, and I like that because it just says it all, and it says it all in a very uh, compact way. And it really, you know, it, it summarizes the difficulties of our daily struggles with one another and all of the differences that so easily divide us. Today we're going to continue in our series that's focused on the grace of God And uh, as I've gone through my own personal studies, i basically simplified it into two categories. You know, grace really comes in two packages. There's God's grace that saves us, and it has to do with our relationship with Him. And there's also God's grace that sustains us, which has to do with our daily lives here on earth and our dealings with one another. So there's God's grace that saves us, there's God's grace to sustain us, and we're going to continue to look at how His grace sustains us in relationships with one another. As uh, I think it's appropriate, as we take a look at the grace that's needed to forgive. The last couple of times we've been together, we've talked about how there's, you know, our differences so easily divide us, and how oftentimes in life we get hung up on pizza topping, pizza topping disagreements or arguments, you know, whether you want pepperoni or green peppers or whatever, and and we allow small things like that to easily divide us and come between us. And as we look at this, we begin to realize that, you know what, it really is grace that's necessary to be able to deal with those differences. Several years ago, I was working for a company that was purchased by Atlantic Richfield, the Arco company. And at the time, I met a, we were instantly thrust into the, uh, this new experience of a corporate world. And uh, I, I met a man who worked in the personnel department whose only job it was, his whole entire job description came down to doing one thing, and that was resolving conflict. That's what he got paid to do. Conflict between management, conflict between divisions and subsidiaries, conflict between uh, management and employees, conflict between employees and employees, and on and on it went. His job was to resolve conflict between people. And as we began to develop a relationship, I asked him of all the experience that he had, what was the, the one way that he has found to resolve conflict? And without hesitation, He said, forgiveness. He said his toughest job was to convince people to forgive one another. To either be forgiven or to forgive others. You know, it's interesting too, he said that, you know, the biggest problem was the majority of time that that people were hurt, not on purpose and not by design, although in the corporate world, there are people who go around stabbing people in the back and they climb on dead bodies to get where they want to go. He said, although that's true, the majority of time, Most differences occurred because of a lack of communication or understanding. But he said without question, the only way to resolve it was people needed to learn how to forgive. You know, And as I thought about that, there's a lot of truth to it. When Billy Graham was conducting a recent crusade, a group of 20 respected psychologists were sent to listen to his sermons. And they were to write up their criticism for their local newspapers. They all agreed on one thing of all the things that they heard him say. They all agreed and wrote in their reports, when Dr. Graham called on people to repent and to receive God's forgiveness, his admonitions were psychologically sound. There's a director of a mental institution, in Knoxville, Tennessee, who said that 50% of his patients could go home immediately if they knew and believed that they had been forgiven for what they had done. The inability to forgive destroys relationships. It's the foundation and in the intimacy of every one of our relationships with one another. The inability to forgive, if left unconfronted and unresolved, unresolved conflicts affect the unity of the body of Christ and they also dull the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit in our life as God's people to be able to deal with one another. So we all need forgiveness as we've noticed and we're all different and we're all going to disagree and sometimes we disagree not agreeably and we need to learn how to do that and we saw how to do that. But the problem is, is that many of us have situations in our life where we haven't disagreed agreeably. And there's been a lot of conflict that has resulted because of that. And we need to learn how to forgive one another. So basically what we're going to take a look at today is the grace to forgive. And obviously it's a pretty broad subject. And I want to limit our, our Discussion to our forgiveness with one another, which is basically horizontal forgiveness, but we need to understand something that's critical. In order to forgive one another, we need to understand that we have to be vertically forgiven first. You know, we need to recognize the fact that we can only forgive as we have been forgiven by God. Just as the Bible says, we love because God first loved us. We have the ability to love one another after we've accepted God's love. Now we can turn around and demonstrate the same type of love to each other. Same is true of forgiveness. We can only learn to forgive if we recognize that we have been forgiven. So it's God's forgiveness of us that makes it possible for us to forgive one another. And we'll see that that demonstrated as we go through this. But we need to recognize when the penalty, of sin, uh, uh, the penalty of sin was paid in full by Jesus Christ, when that penalty was paid on the cross, God's wrath was expressed against Him. And He was the one who took our place on that cross. And the Bible says when Jesus shed His blood for our sin, that God was fully satisfied with that sacrifice. And that He rose again from the dead to demonstrate that He had the ability to forgive sin and He had the power over sin and death and the reality of all of that is, is that all we need to do is just turn in faith and thank God for that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And the Bible says that we had received forgiveness at that time. And so as we do that, it isn't long before we recognize that we're forgiven. It isn't long before any one of us who wants to get serious about being promoters of grace have to deal with the whole concept of forgiving other people. And so we, we, we saw... Um, uh, passage of scripture that I want to go back to again but in Ephesians 4:31 and 32 let me just read this to you and I want to go through a couple of things because it lays the foundation that we're going to discuss this morning we read this get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you So the basis of forgiveness is found in our forgiveness of God, and that's what he uses everything to compare it to. Just as God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ, so we are to forgive one another. But he goes on, he says, get rid of. The term has to do with, it's almost in an ethical sense, if you've ever had some dirty clothes on or clothes that don't fit right, and someone says, you know what, that just doesn't look good on you. You need to just get rid of it. You know, I've gone out on runs or worked out, and I come back, and man, I'll tell you what, I know what it means to have filthy clothes on. You know, and everyone that walks by me goes, you know, you need to take a shower. You know, you need to get that, you need to get that shirt off. You need that, you know. And, and so as I think about this, what God's saying is, Chuck, you know what, just like when you come back from a run and that shirt stinks and it doesn't even fit right anymore, it's hanging all over and it's all sweaty and you've got to take it out and i get to hang them in the garage because I'm not even allowed to put them in the laundry room because the laundry room's in the house and you know how that goes. So it's out in the garage. I've got these things that stand up on their own until wash day. uh, But God's saying, it's just like that. Just just like you take that shirt off. Well, take these dirty habits of yours, these repulsive vices, and just throw them off to the side. And he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage. Rage is an outburst of anger. Really, anger is something that simmers within. It's a smoldering hatred almost in our hearts for someone. And I want you to think about this and make it personal. But what God is saying is, you know what? There's, There's an underlying root of rage, and it's anger and it's a settled feeling of, I just don't like that person, no matter what they do, and in fact, everything they do just confirms how much I dislike them. So I've got this simmering anger that's built within me, and all they need to do is do one thing, and it just sets it off. And he says, you know what? Get rid of that bitterness. Get rid of the rage. Get rid of the anger and the brawling and the slander, which means speaking evilly of someone, speaking poorly or or, or ripping a person apart. And so as we begin to look at these things, what he's saying is, Chuck, you know what? Is there someone in your life that you speak evil of? Then you're not forgiving of them, are you? Is there someone in your life who sets you off and there's there's just a slow, steady boil in your heart towards that person? Then you haven't forgiven them. You need to set that aside in every form of malice. And he goes on and says, but you know what? Instead of being this way, be kind say the right thing at the right time for the benefit of the person. I did a wedding last night. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient and love is kind. The admonition is that you know what? Before you speak, say that which is going to benefit the person you're about to say it to. Think before you speak. It's a command by God saying, "Be kind. Be compassionate. Be tender-hearted in some translations." And then it says, "Be forgiving." The command, be forgiving, says to give freely or to give graciously as a favor. And you know why the whole reason? is because that's how God gives to us. God is kind, He's compassionate, He's tender-hearted, and He's also very forgiving. And so as we go through this, I want this to kind of be the backdrop for us because basically when we're dealing with the issue of forgiveness or the whole subject of forgiveness, there's only two paths that lead to it. If you stop and think about it, there's only two roads that lead to forgiveness. The first road is that I have to be offended by someone. Or the second path is that I have to offend someone. I mean, those are the only two ways that we have conflict that lead to forgiveness. So stop and ask yourself the question, have you, now not, not this group, I know that this isn't impossible, but I'm going to ask you. Have you ever in your life offended another person? No, okay. Well, the second half, you're really going to like. The first half, we'll just go over quickly then, because it doesn't apply to anyone that we know. But the second half is, have you ever been offended? Amen, huh? Yeah, there you go. Now we're talking. Well, let me, let's, start with the first, let's start with the first half. It's that if I've ever offended anyone, in the rare occasions when I may have offended someone, I need to ask the question. Now, have you ever offended someone you didn't even know it? How many of you have? The first, oh, see, now, okay, this is good. It, now, see, this will make, you know, you'll be honest here. Now, if you've ever offended someone and you didn't know it, you'll be glad to say, I've offended people, but I didn't even know. Right? And then why didn't you know it? Because you weren't trying to do it. But you have people come to you and say, do you know your mother is really upset with you? You get stuff like that, right? Your brother is really upset. Your, 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 your co-worker, your, your friend You're coach, you're this. And it's always, you know, I know somebody who's really offended by something that you did. Well, great. I don't know what it was because I wasn't trying to do it. Now, if I was trying to do it, I'd know exactly what they're talking about. So oftentimes we offend people. We don't even know we offend them. So now we're stuck dealing with this issue of we've offended someone. We don't even know how we've offended them. And frankly, I, I know exactly how this works because I offend people all the time. I really do, you know, it's just, it was so funny, I, you know, I did this wedding last night, and it was hilarious, because I was standing at the, it, it, was, it, was, it was a great evening, but I was standing in line, and there was a couple of guys behind me, and um, we were at the, they had an open bar, and you know with this grace thing, no, just kidding, and uh, I was getting ginger ale and a Diet Coke, and I was standing in line, and I heard the two guys talking about the minister who just did the wedding. and they were offended by some of the things that I said and you know basically this hammering, this gal standing next to me recognized who I was and uh, she just had this look on her face like I can't wait to run and tell my friends what just happened and the lion in <laughs> and she kind of looked over and I kind of smiled you know and I just listened to them and, and they just hammered me man I mean I, they were offended, they were just like oh, I was getting short, I got by the time I went up I I oh, don't be a diet coke and I turned around And I thought, wow, man, you know, I've offended somebody here, you know. And and it was hilarious. As it turned out, this is the funniest part of all of it. They were sitting at our table for dinner. (laughs) It was great. It was so funny. Because I went over and I I told Linda, I said, you see those two guys? They just hammered me up in that line. And she said, well, the one guy I know is going to sit at our table. And then on top of it, here's a guy talking about He goes, well, you know what? What he said, that's not even real life. I got into the basics of marriage and what God's idea of marriage and how marriage should be, and that's yeah, not even real, right? And then I find out, you know, he's been multiply married many times, but, you know, it's like, so that's not real. That wasn't real. Well, it turns out this guy used to be a mayor of a city for 16 years. He should be an expert on that now, shouldn't he? Well, it's not real. Oh, gee. I was like, you're kidding me. But it was hilarious, and it was so, and I just sat there, and we just we had a great night, and it was fun. But, you know, but it reminded me that, you know, I, I often, I often offend people and, and on a somewhat regular basis. And it's not, <laughs> yeah, but it's not intentional. It's not like I had these people in mind when I was speaking. It's like, oh, I, there's a guy that I want to say something about right there, you know, and, 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 and it happened. And, uh, and I don't know, and I usually don't know about it unless I hear it from somebody else. Well, did you know that you said this and it offended so-and-so? And uh, in fact, we, I had a conversation with somebody I love very much, a, a friend of ours for years that go to this church and they're in this class and they're sitting here right now. And we were having a conversation about something totally different. She goes, well, you know what? I just want to let you know that you offended me when you said about baptism when you called it dunking instead of immersion. And I said, well, you know what? I, it's probably my sports background. And, and, you know, and and, and also in context of what we're talking about, we're talking about the different modes of baptism and how we could be so easily divided by things such as that and how sad that is. But now I'm dealing with an issue here that I have to deal with, and that is that this person was genuinely offended by what I said. Well, what do we do about it? I mean, we've all been in that situation where we've found out that we've offended somebody. Now, the problem is, what do you do about it? And uh, fortunately for us, you got your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll go through this, because, you know, this doesn't really apply to many of us, so I won't take a whole lot of time doing this. But in the rare event you've ever offended someone or found out that you did, the problem is, what do you do about it? Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Here's the guidelines, the steps that we're going to have to take if we're going to be promoters of grace and learn how to forgive one another in this particular application. If therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. I love the guidelines that are here. They're simple. They're easy to follow. You know, here we have a picture of a man who's come to the temple. He's a a Jewish worshiper and he's going to offer his offerings to God. And as he's presenting himself to do that in the quietness of his time there, and as he's preparing his heart, God's dealing with him on an issue in his life. You know, I think one of the most important reasons why every one of God's people should have a quiet time alone with the Lord is so we can listen to the Holy Spirit talking to us and convicting us and telling us of things that we need to do in our life. In the, in the busy hustle and bustle of every day, we don't slow down enough to listen to God speak to our hearts. Cease striving and know that we're God. One of the greatest benefits of that quiet time is that here was a man, he prepared his heart to worship God, and in the quietness of that moment, he remembered that he had offended someone. Whether it was intentional, whether it was deliberate, whether he had heard that he did, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he tells us that he recognized that he had offended another person. And so now he's struggling with, what do you do about it? Well, there's some options, right? You can ignore it and hope that it goes away. Well, you know, you can write it off and say, well, you know, they're just overly sensitive. You know, they're always offended. They weigh their emotions on their sleeve and everything that we say offends them. And it's like, you know what, by this point in time, it doesn't really matter anymore whether they're offended or not. I don't really care. We can rationalize it. We can justify it. We can say, well, I didn't mean it. Obviously, I didn't mean it because I didn't even know they were offended by me. So, I mean, it's not something that I did on purpose. So why should I have to deal with it? They shouldn't be so sensitive. Well, you know what? Do me a favor. Go back to them and would you tell them that I didn't mean it? Would you take care of that for me? Count on somebody else to resolve it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways that we try to get out of this and we have all kind of gymnastics and all these maneuvers to try to do it. But God clearly says, you know what you have to do? Stop everything. He told him, hey, you know what? Just stop what you're doing. Stop playing church. Stop worrying about all the rest of the things that you have to do. Because right now, in your life, there is nothing more important than to do than to resolve this situation. There's nothing more important than it. Not only should you stop what you're doing, but you better go. If you have heard that you have offended a person, stop whatever it is that you're doing and then you go to them. If you can go to them personally, go to them in person, face to face. Looking in their eyes when you go to them. If you can't go to them personally, pick up a telephone. If they're not within phone reach, write them a letter. You do whatever you have to do to resolve this situation. Stop and go. He says, and then, you know what? And then try to reconcile it. You know what? Try to reconcile it. How do you do it? Hey, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace, what? To the humble. There's nothing more humbling than to call somebody on the phone and say, you know what? I understand that you're offended by something that I said. To drive to their house, to go to their business. I understand that I offended you. And there's nothing more important in my life at this moment of time than to try to resolve that with you. What did I do? What did I say? How can I resolve it? If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to offend you. In dealing with the situation we did, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't know that that was a sensitive area for you. And I'm sorry that I I didn't mean to do it. Let me explain to you what I was thinking. Let me explain to you the context of it. And it's so important to do that. You know, I've had people in many times that have, have written me letters and say, you know what, you're, you're a joke. You, you know, you're an idiot. We brought some family members and you said something and, man, I was offended by it. And, you know, you're the Antichrist. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know. Well, I, and, and, and to have to, you know, and to, and to pick up a telephone and to say, you know what, I'm sorry that you were offended. Obviously, you know, you don't know much about me and and we don't don't spend a lot of time together and you took that wrong and I didn't mean it and if there's nothing else I can tell you is that I'm sorry that I offended you. Well, you didn't offend me. You offended my wife. Fine. Put her on the phone. Let me talk to her because I'd rather talk to her direct than have you relay it because I know how that works. (laughs) The Antichrist is on the line. (laughs) You know? So it's like, and, and, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to do it. And then you know what? The wonderful thing is at that point, then I can return and resume my relationship with the Lord. I can go right back and say, Lord, I did whatever it is you required me to do. It took your grace because I'm a proud person, but you're opposed to the proud, that you give grace to the humble. And I went and I did what you asked me to do. Now I know some of you think, well, you know what though, but what if I go... And they don't accept my apology. What if they won't forgive me? Let me just tell you two things to remember. Number one is, you're not responsible for how they respond to your apology. You are responsible before God to do what's right before God. This one individual that I talked to that was offended, I called him and talked to him and talked to his wife. Never saw him again. It wasn't like we kissed, made up, and now we're best friends. He still probably thinks I'm the Antichrist and he's running around putting flyers out that says that I am. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is I did what I was supposed to do and I was obedient to God. I cannot control the response of another person and neither can you. And the second thing we need to remember too is that the, the depth or the extent of the injury is going to determine how long the rehab is going to take. You understand what I'm saying? You get a deep wound, and it's going to take a long time to heal. But see, true forgiveness or repentance, I'm sorry that I did what I did, will you forgive me? There is no agenda attached to that. The prodigal son is an excellent example of that. Father, I have sinned, and would you forgive me? And now, will you also let me live back in the house again? And now will you restore to me all of the benefits of being a son? If you remember the prodigal son, he said, you know what? Hey, you know what? Even my father's slaves, they're they're doing better than I am, and I don't have any demands or expectations at all. I'm going back, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and if he makes me work in the fields, it's better than slopping with the hogs, and whatever he decides to do is more than fine with me, and that's a spirit of repentance and forgiveness and saying, I am sorry, and you know what? And if you don't forgive me, it doesn't matter. And if it takes you forever, it doesn't matter because I have to do what's right before God and I hurt you and I realize that and I'm sorry that I did that. And if it takes forever for God to deal in that person's heart, then you can wait forever for God to do it because you need to do what's right before God. When we have offended another person, whether intentionally or not, we need to stop, we need to go, we need to reconcile as best as we humanly possibly can. And then the wonderful thing is, is as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness. And we can return and move ahead in our relationship to God. Now, I know that didn't mean anything to anybody here because none of us ever offend anybody. So let's get into what will really apply to every one of us. But what if somebody's offended me? Yes! This is what we've been waiting for. Now we're talking. Who hasn't been wrong at one point or another by someone else, whether deliberately or, or not, whether unintentionally? So if you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 18, and let's take a look at what do you do when someone else has offended you? So this is really on the other side of it, and regretfully what happens is, is that the person who's offended you is the one who's coming to you, and they're trying to reconcile things, and now you're stuck in the position of how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? How long are you going to make them pay? Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. And we'll take a look at the other side of the coin. It's almost like, you know, as as Christians, we realize we have, well, there's a need to forgive. It's not so much should we forgive as much as it is how often should we forgive. Isn't that usually the way it is? I mean, we all know we should forgive each other when we've been wronged by one another. We all know that. But now the question is, well, how many times do I have to do that? I mean, this person keeps hurting me the same way and the same time over and over again. How many times am I going to have to forgive? Matthew chapter 18. Look, it says in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Now, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How about up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. It says, And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and that repayment should be made. It says, the slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him and saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him from the debt and forgave him for it. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, and he seized him and he began to choke him and he said, pay back to me what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, hey, have patience with me and I'll repay you. He was unwilling, however, but he went and he threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him as his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. And he says, and so shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The situation is on the heels of church discipline. If you look at the first half of chapter 18, there's a person in church who does something that's wrong before God and now it's time to discipline him for it. And the procedure is if you know of a brother who is sinning against the Lord, you go to him individually and say, hey, you know what? You need to stop what you're doing. You need to get right before God. And the person says, nah, you know what? You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. So you bring another friend. And the two of you go, or two or three of you go, and say, look, no, we all see this. This is a problem. You need to straighten out before you suffer the consequences of wrong behavior. You need to get right with God. And the person says, nah, I don't care what you say. And so the whole church gets involved. And now it's time for discipline. And so Peter, on the heels of this whole conversation, he says, well, you know what? I got a question for you. How many times. If this person does this and we forgive him, how many times should we keep forgiving him? And he says, well, I know. How, about, how about seven times? The teaching of the day was three times. And they used that based on Amos 2.6. The rabbi said, hey, you, you can just forgive somebody three times. Well, see, Peter was starting to catch on to this whole grace thing. And so what he started to think was, well, three times can't be enough because I'm learning about grace. And so what I'm going to do is I'll double it and throw in one like how about six now make it seven how about seven times and Jesus says oh you know what you're missing something here how about seventy times seven and there's four lessons as far as forgiveness are concerned that I want to share with you and the first one's this we need to recognize the unlimited opportunities that we will have in life to ask for forgiveness and to forgive those who have offended us seventy times seven Jesus wasn't telling us 490 times. So for those of you up to like 387 and counting, got bad news for you. It was an infinite number of times. He said, the point is, if you really want to be promoters of grace, you need to understand that you're to forgive others just as God in Christ forgives us. I'm glad that God doesn't have seven times that he will forgive me in my lifetime. I'm glad that He's not going on 490 times. I'm glad that He says He'll forgive us an unlimited number of times as we confess our sin to Him. I'm glad to see that. And we need to recognize that's the truth. We need to recognize the fact that, you know what, the longer that I live and the longer that you live, the more you realize how true this is. We are going to offend one another on a pretty regular basis whether it's within our own families, whether it's within a church, whether it's within a community or a place of business, whatever, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. Why? Because we're different from one another, and sometimes we're not sensitive about those differences. And we don't know how to agree, disagree agreeably, and we're learning as we go along what grace is all about. And so we need to recognize the fact that, you know what, none of us are perfect, that we're all going to make mistakes, and that we all do and say things that we shouldn't have done. We do things and say things in certain times that we regret it and we shouldn't say it. We come home after a bad day or sitting on the freeway and we snap or we say something we shouldn't say and we live to regret it. And we're going to need to understand that forgiveness is the only thing that's going to soothe those differences in the relationship. So Jesus was trying to get that point across as he told this story. You know what's funny to me? It seems like we don't recognize how often we offend other people. We recognize how often they offend us, that's very clear. But we don't recognize how often we offend others. I had a friend who was going to take a flight, she was going back to Seattle. And she went to the airport and she had a couple of her kids and she went into one of those um, uh, shops there to buy some snacks and she bought a package of cookies. And she comes back and she sits down and the kids are running around and she got distracted and things were going on and and the cookies were sitting next to her and so she, she opened up the package and she had a cookie. Well, a guy sits down next to her and reaches over and eats a cookie. And she kind of gave him a look like, what's the deal? And he reached over and got another cookie. So she hurried up and got another one. There's only five cookies. Those were big, soft ones, right? So she had one, he had one, he had another, she had the other. Now there's only one cookie left. And just as she went to reach for it, he reached down and he broke the cookie in half. And he took half and he gave her the other half. And she was like, what in the world is this guy doing? And she gets gave him, you know those looks? You know how we give those looks that you just kill someone? It's like those laser. You know, oh, you probably haven't seen that because you never do anything to offend each other. But, but so anyway, she just was like so mad at this guy, and she couldn't believe that he, would did, that he did it. And so she, anyway, she got on the plane, and, and she was still fuming about the whole thing. Like, how can anybody eat cookies like that from someone else? And so she was going through it. One of her kids wanted a toy to play with. She reached into her purse to get the toy out, and guess what she found? the pack of cookies they were her cookies in her purse the cookies on the table were the guy sitting next to her and she just said and she kind of felt like I did at the wedding she just shrunk up into that little seat and now this guy is nowhere to be found in life ever again but she's thinking I, oh lord I'm so stupid I, I was gonna kill this guy for eating my cookies and I got a whole pack of cookies. And, and, and it's hilarious because, you know what, so many times in life, isn't that exactly what happens? You know, what do you think you're doing? And then it's was like, but it's you who's doing it. Oh, then that's not that big a deal. Oh, I see. But so we need to recognize that. And so what Jesus was trying to say is, you know what, hey, if you're going to promote grace, recognize the fact. We're going to offend each other. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. We're going to offend people without even meaning to. But you know what? We have a responsibility. If we're going to smooth things out and we're going to promote and splash grace around the world that we live in, then we need to recognize there's going to be unlimited times to be forgiven and unlimited times to forgive others. So he goes on and he says, you know what, though? But we need to realize that forgiving is possible only as a response to the grace of God. The purpose of the parable or the story that Jesus tells is to help us to realize and understand something that many of us forget when we deal with one another in the area of forgiveness. He says this, that there was a slave who owed a certain king an unbelievable sum of money. The money that you translate was like $12 million. There was no way that it was possible for this man to ever repay his debt. Absolutely impossible. There's nothing he can do. He couldn't work long enough. He couldn't work hard enough. He couldn't get enough of his friends to work long enough and hard enough. He owed $12 million in an economy where if you made a dollar a day, that was a good day's wages. So the point is that he couldn't pay it back. And so Jesus uses this to illustrate a point. He says, but listen, don't you understand that you could never pay back the debt that you owe to God? That's why it's by grace we're saved through faith. Let me tell you something if you don't understand it today. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot do enough good things to be forgiven by God for the sin that is present in your life. There is no way possible on the face of the earth that you can do enough good deeds and do enough good things and go to church enough times and read the Bible enough and do all the things that you think you can do to get to heaven. It's impossible. You can't repay your debt. The wonderful thing is, though, is God says, you know what? But I will pay your debt for you if you will just receive that gift that I want to give you. The point that he's making is, you know what? We need to realize that forgiving is possible only as a response to the grace of God. This man couldn't repay his debt. There's no way he could repay it. Even though he said, well, I'll try to. Well, let me try to repay it. No, you can't. There's nothing you can do. And so what did he do? He begged him. He said, Lord, I can't repay my debt. I know that I can't repay my debt. I'm in deep doo-doo here. I don't know what you're going to do with me. I don't know where you're going to send me. But I'll tell you what, I understand that there's nothing in me that's going to be able to pay this debt back. And so what he did? He begged for forgiveness. He humbled himself before this king. He lay prostrate in front of him and he said, Lord, forgive me of my debt. What a wonderful picture of a man or a woman who finally realizes in in his or her own own heart that, you know what, I can't do anything to get to heaven on my own. I can't be forgiven of the sin by working my way out of it. What I need to do is I just need to ask you to forgive me and to get down on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner. And I realize there's nothing good in me and there's no way I'm getting there. And the Bible says that, you know what, hey, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ our Lord and I believe that and I receive that gift and that's exactly what it is and that's all that it takes to be forgiven by God for all of eternity to be called a child of God to those who believe in him that would receive him will become children of God to those who believe on his name that's it that's all you gotta do to be right with God is just thank him for what he's done for you and so what we need to understand is that's the basis for forgiveness And as we look at that, I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, you know what? Whenever I see myself before God and realize what my blessed Lord has done for me at Calvary, I'm ready to forgive anyone of anything. I cannot withhold forgiveness, and I don't even want to withhold it. says that the king felt compassion and released him from his debt. From the burden and the debt and the guilt that goes along with it. And he says that he forgave him at fourth give. He dismissed it entirely. You don't owe me anything. It's done. It's paid for. It's over. It's finished. We need to recognize that. But we also need to recognize this. There's a temptation to be hypocritical. We can look at God and say, Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. This astronomical debt that I could have never repaid. I want to thank you that in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, that you have forgiven me because I've received that gift. But you don't understand how bad this person hurt me. You don't understand how much they owe me. And so, what Jesus did was he illustrated and he said, You know what? This same slave who had just been forgiven a debt he could never repay went to an individual who owed him one day's labor one day's wages he sought him out and he began to choke him and he said you know what you owe me pay me you owe me pay me and he had the means to do it so it, it, it relates to me that you know what many times we have the ability to not only forgive one another but also to make it right when we hurt one another the ability is there to do that he went out of his way to find someone that owed him something and said, Okay, yeah, thank you for forgiving me, but now i got to go take care of some business. And he began to choke this guy. said, Pay me back what you owe. And the man that owed him money got down on his knees just like he did not too long ago and said, Please forgive me. I will repay you. I'll do whatever I have to do. Give me time to do it. And he said, No way. And he threw him into prison until he was repaid the debt that he was owed. Talk about hypocrisy. Talk about a person that doesn't understand the depth of the forgiveness that they just experienced and how many times in life but we are just as hypocritical. Let me ask you a question. What could someone possibly do to you that could ever begin to equate to what God has forgiven you and the astronomical debt that you owed Him? How can it even begin to compare? They said something mean about me. Okay. They stole money from me. All right. They abused me in some way. Yeah. You don't understand. She left me and stuck me with this, or he left me and he did this to me, or this and that. And we, I mean, we have a whole long list of things. And I don't want to minimize that because it hurts and there's pain involved. But the reality of what Jesus is trying to teach us is don't you understand the depth of the debt that you owed? compared to that which any human being could ever owe you, doesn't even compare. It pales in significance. It is insignificant. You look at that and go, man, how hypocritical I can be. Let me ask you a question. If you personally have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, when was the last time that you shared that type of grace in the life of another person? who has wronged you in whatever way you define as being wronged. It's interesting. It's difficult. But it's real. And it's what we need to deal with. Because he says, you know what? If we refuse to forgive, there will be severe consequences in our own life. He says that this servant was unwilling to forgive. In verse 30 he says, but you know what? He was unwilling. Do you know what the point is here? He had the ability within him to forgive. But he said, I'm not going to. I can forgive this debt. I'm unwilling to. I can get rid of or lay aside this bitterness. I can take off that dirty shirt. And I can set it aside. I can choose to do that. But I'm willing I'm willing to. I can lay aside the anger and the bitterness and the rage and the malice and the slander. I can do all of those things. But you know what? But I'm not willing to. I refuse to forgive. I don't want to forgive. Jesus said, let me warn you that for those who do not forgive, they'll be handed over to the torturers there's severe consequences in our life and I believe as I look around and as I speak to people and even look at my own life and look back on my past I realize how true this is there are many of us who are living bitter angry wrathful malice-filled slanderous lifestyles simply because we have chosen to unwilling to be unwilling to forgive is it possible absolutely is it a choice absolutely can you choose to forgive? That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Can you choose to withhold forgiveness? You sure can. Is there consequences to it? You better believe it. I met a man a few years ago who was working with the Seattle Seahawks. He was a, he's a black man that shared at a banquet that we were at. He was a man that was filled with anger and bitterness and rage, malice and slander and all the things that we talked about. And he hated white people with a passion. And he shared this with the group as we were all together. He said, you know what? I hated white folks. Always have, always did. When he became a Christian and he knew he was forgiven by God as he accepted Jesus Christ, he said God began to work in this area of his life. He began to read the Bible. He began to study what God had to say about forgiveness and how he's been forgiven, how he should forgive others. And he was really convicted about it and he was really struggling with it. And he said, and as he got to this passage in Matthew 18, he read it and he looked at it and he said, you know, my life was just like that. I was, I was turned over to the torturers. That I, you know, I, I had no peace in my life. I had no joy in my relationship with the Lord. I was filled with anger. I could almost taste the bitterness in my mouth as I thought about ways to get even with white people that had hurt me at some point in time, or even just all of us in general. And he was looking at a bunch of us who were sitting there. He said, let me tell you something. One thing that God got across my heart was this. I would lay in bed at night angry and resentful and filled with bitterness and think of ways to destroy you. And then he said, you know what? All those white people are sound asleep. (laughs) And he went, man, how true that is. Who was he hurting? He was hurting himself. And his relationship with God, and he began to realize, and he just said he dealt with it that one time. He said, Lord, forgive me. How hypocritical of me to accept your forgiveness of a debt that I couldn't repay and not be willing to forgive those who have offended me. God, forgive me. Forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. He said it changed his life. Put him on a new level in his relationship with God. He had joy and peace in his life. He was able to work with white people that he thought he could never stand to spend any time with. God opened doors to him. You know, and I realize there's nothing easy about all of this, but this whole thing about tortures is a very real thing that we need to deal with. Ray Stedman, in his book, Breaking the Resentment Barrier, writes this about this phrase. He said, this is a marvelously expressive phrase to describe what happens to us when we don't forgive one another. It is an accurate descri- description of a gnawing resentment and bitterness, the awful gall of hate or envy. It's a terrible feeling and we can't get away from it. We feel strongly the separation from another and every time we think of them, we feel within the acid of resentment and hate just eating away at our peace and our calmness. He says, this is the torturing that our Lord says will take place in the lives of those of His people who refuse to forgive one another. And you can see it. You can see it in the faces of people in churches who refuse to forgive those who hurt them. You can walk into a facility and you can feel the bitterness and the anger and the resentment. You can feel it. You can see it. You can smell it. You can sense it. You can say, there's something wrong here. What's wrong is simple. We need to forgive. We need to forgive one another. Just as in Christ, God has forgiven us. We need to be freed from it. We need to take it off and set it aside and lay it aside and say, Lord, forgive me. How often? As often as it takes. You know, I don't know how to put it any clearer, but if you're in a grasp of anger or bitterness or rage or resentment and it leads to slandering another person or plotting evil in their life or wishing bad things that would happen to them, then you haven't forgiven them. There's someone you can't even stand a thought of in your life. Maybe even hate him. You haven't forgiven him. Father's Day. Think about it. Fathers, let me just share with you if you've offended your children in any way, what greater gift could you give them on Father's Day than to go to them and say, you know what, I've offended you, I've hurt you, and I need to ask your forgiveness. I was wrong. Maybe your dad will never come to you and do that, but you got hatred in your heart towards the things that he did or the things that he said, and you need to forgive him. What a great gift it would be. You know what? Not only a gift to Him, but it's a gift to yourself. Sure beats a tie. <laughs> How are things with your mother or your spouse or even an ex-spouse? There's so much hatred and anger in our, our, our world today toward people that have hurt us in our past. Or our children and our friends or neighbors, co-workers, partners, coaches, teachers, elders, pastors, church members. You know, the list goes on and on. Listen to me. I'm not making light of any of the pain. I'm not making light of anything that you feel or the hurts that you've experienced. And I know that they're deep hurts, and I've been there. I know what what I'm talking about. But the time has come to forgive, to escape by God's grace from the hands of the torturers. I don't know what you've been through, but in closing, I want to read an account of a woman that I know has been through more than most of us in our lifetime. And she dealt with the whole subject of forgiveness. Her name is Cory Ten Boom. He says that her and her sister, whom she loved and greatly admired, were prisoners in Hitler's Ravensbrück concentration camp. And one guard was exceptionally brutal to them, and Cory could handle being treated badly, but she couldn't bear to see this guard being so cruel to her sister. And her sister eventually died at the hands of the beatings. Corey went on to say that she remembered her sister often saying, Don't hate him, because he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand. And she had love for this man who beat her on a regular basis. But over the years, a great resentment toward this German guard built up inside of her life. And after the war, Corey went to Germany, not just to say a message of forgiveness, but to be a message of forgiveness. There was guilt that was heavy over all the German people. And they were silent as they came in and out of the church where she was speaking. And one by one, they would walk in with their heads down. And one of the people standing in line to greet her after the service was the very guard who had beaten her sister to death. He didn't even recognize her, and he said, I was a guard in a prison camp, and I appreciate, appreciated your message tonight. I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I've also come to ask for, because I need to have you forgive me. Here, Corey had just delivered a message of forgiveness. Yet when she recognized the man as the one who had so cruelly abused her sister, bitterness boiled inside of her. He didn't even realize who he was talking to, and he stood there with his hand outstretched and continued to ask her, will you forgive me? And she looked at him, and she continued to have bitterness in her heart, and finally she cried out before God. She said, oh, God, please help me. And before she knew what had happened, there was a warmth and a peace that came about her life, and she reached out to the hand of this man who had beaten her sister to death, and she said, I forgive you. I've thought about that story often in my life, because I don't know what you've been through, but I'll tell you what, I can't even relate to what this woman experienced. And if God's grace was sufficient enough to have her forgive someone who beat her sister to death, then don't you think that God's grace will be sufficient enough for us when we ask for the same forgiveness? You see, the problem is that, you know what, it's not necessary, and understand this, it's not necessary when we forgive someone. If somebody's hurt you on a job, so you have an employee that stole from you, to forgive them doesn't mean that you're going to hire them back, and you're going to give them their job back. If you've had someone th- th- that's hurt you in the past, it doesn't mean that you're going to become best friends again. If you had an ex-spouse that has hurt you in your life, it doesn't mean you're going to get back together again. If you've had a child that has hurt you in some way, it doesn't mean necessarily you're going to have this great close relationship because you've forgiven them. We need to understand that just because we've had a pastor that has fallen at this church doesn't mean if we forgive him that it necessarily means that he has to come back here and be a pastor again. Don't we understand that it's not necessary for things to happen the way that we think naturally that they do just because we forgive someone? But the reality of all of it is that, you know what, if, you, if you've been abused by someone in your past, it doesn't mean that you have to go back and subject yourself to the same thing. But what I am saying to you is this. It means you've got to let it go. It means you've just got to ask God, like Cory ten Boom, and cry out, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your grace to forgive. And what an amazing thing happens when we cry out to God for the grace and the strength To forgive one another. Get rid of it folks. It smells. You don't wear it right. It doesn't look good on God's people. It's like my old dirty gym clothes. Just throw them out in the garage. And set them aside. And if you can't do it on your own. God says just cry for help. Because I'll give you the grace to forgive. Let's pray. Father we just thank you. For the forgiveness that we have found. Because of Jesus Christ. God, help us to understand that that's the basis by which we forgive one another. There is no number of times, there is no limitation. We need to let it go, and we need to trust you. God, I just pray for those who are hurting today, that have been hurt deeply in many ways that maybe none of us will ever understand, that they just trust you, and that they cry out for your grace that they would be able to forgive that person or persons who have hurt them so deeply that they could through your grace escape from the hands of the torturers who have them bound by bitterness and anger and rage and resentment and that that could be replaced by a love and a peace and a patience and joy and gentleness and kindness and all of the, as we see the fruit of the spirit in our lives god help us as a church to lay aside bitterness and anger toward David Hawking, toward Chuck Smith, toward anyone that we have any kind of bitterness or resentment toward, and just to lay it aside once and for all, just throw it aside, and to ask you to give us the grace that's needed to forgive. And God, we just thank you for the joy and the peace and the calm that comes in our life because of our obedience to you. We just love you, and we praise you, And we just thank you for this grace that we're learning is truly amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.